Good morning. Grace to you all and joy from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Today marks the third Sunday of Advent. I did, yeah, I put up the right amount of my fingers. Just check it. Today, we light the third candle as we celebrate joy. The joy of the shepherds as they got to be the first people to ever see the fulfillment of scriptures with the birth of the newborn Messiah. Amen? And that is exactly where we're going to start today. If you'd grab your Bible with me, and please stand in honor of God's Word as we will be reading the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Luke 2, starting in verse 7, we're going to go all the way down to verse 20, all right? Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room there in the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find the babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about that when the angels had gone away from them and into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, um, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and, and, and see this thing which has been... Which has, I'm sure they were tongue-tied too. <laughs> Let us go straight to heaven then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he laid in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had just heard and seen just as had been told them. Amen. Be seated, please. <clears throat> I want to give you some backstory. A lot of the times, people give a little bit of misinformation when it comes to shepherds and the wise men in this story. And if you know anything about me, if, if my closer friends know, I'm kind of a stickler for biblical historical accuracy. 
Like, I want to know what the coin looked like. I want to know what the, what the tassels were. Like, I want to know all of the, the actual archaeological stuff. That really interests me. <laughs> because I don't live in a world that was 2,000 years ago, do I, Kathy? And so I need to be able to do the research and understand what is a widow's might? Or what was the temple complex like? Or what were shepherds really like? And you've, you've probably heard some of the th- same things that I've heard about shepherds and all this stuff, but I wanted to clear up some false rumors, and I also wanted to teach you a few new things that I didn't even know. So shepherds, I did a deep dive, and I mean deep, deep dive into shepherds and what the Greek words are saying, <coughs> all, of the, all of the historical accuracy that I could find, and here's what I found out. Shepherds were a double-edged sword. You see, the concept of the shepherd was very idealized and noble. Some of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith were shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, right? And those were the heroes of the faith, right? But then we also see scriptures where, Paul, uh, where God himself was actually shown to have characteristics of a shepherd. One of them is in Isaiah 40. Verses 10 through 11, it says this, Like a shepherd, he will tend to his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them into his bosom. And he will gently lead the nursing ewes. Now for y'all non-farm people, a ewe is a a mama sheep that's about to have a lamb. Okay? Here's another scripture in Micah 5, 4. It says this about God having the characteristics of the shepherd. It says, He will arise... And shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. That's actually a foretelling of Jesus being described as a shepherd. And we know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? We know that one. (laughs) We also know in the New Testament, Jesus used lots of scriptures. So the concept of shepherding was very noble. Unfortunately... The actual shepherds were not notable at all. They actually had a bad rap. I looked at several Jewish texts, both rabbinical, legal, those things. And here's some of the things that that shepherds were accused of or thought poorly of. They were often regarded as dishonest and prone to violate Jewish law. Philo, who was a Hellenistic Jew, he wrote that shepherds were held to be mean and inglorious. In fact, shepherds were not allowed to be a witness in a court case or hold a a judicial office. (laughs) So these guys weren't welcomed. They they weren't exactly well-respected. They were kind of riffraffs. In fact, sheep aren't exactly the best things to farm in themselves. (laughs) I am a seventh generation cattle owner. My father, many times, Brandon has said, no respectable cowboy ever owns sheep. And he'd fight you on that principle too. Sheep are dumb. They're messy. They're dumb. 
they're just stupid animals. And yet the Lord calls us sheep. (laughs) But you need to understand something. The shepherds that we just read about, Ashley, are not those type of shepherds. You see, in my deep, deep, deep dive on shepherding, I found out something. The land around Bethlehem was only reserved to grow temple sheep on. I didn't know that before. I knew that there was a theory that the lambs might have been temple sacrifices, but what I didn't know was the land around Bethlehem, was it grew wheat, and when the wheat was cut, the temple sheep harvested, uh, they could eat the rest of the wheat, because the wheat was for the temple as well. The section around Bethlehem was very sacred, <coughs> which meant if a shepherd is raising sheep and lambs, For the temple, that meant they were for slaughter. That meant these shepherds were supervised by rabbis. Priests would come and check on them. (laughs) Because these are the guys that are growing the sheep that will be sacrificed for sin. And God was very clear, those sheep must be without blemish. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. They're not just dumb rednecks. Nothing wrong with being a redneck. I are one. However, (laughs) they weren't just your ordinary farmer, rancher kind of guy. They had purpose. And I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of awesome. And then I learned that in Bethlehem there was this tower. Think like two to three story rock tower like on a castle. You know, like a, a, a circular cylinder kind of, ca- uh, kind of tower. And it was called Magdal Eder. And it meant the tower of the flock. <laughs> you see, one of those shepherds or a couple of those shepherds, the first floor was empty for the ewes to be taken in and birth their lambs. But the shepherds would also go up when it says they were watching over their flock. That's actually talking about they were watching over their flock like I am right now. Like I'm looking over you. They would climb up to the top of the tower and they would watch. Here's the other thing that I learned. They weren't just watching For wolves and enemies, they were watching for ewes to go into labor. Because the ewe could not have the lamb out on the field. The ewe had to be brought in out of the cold. (laughs) The ewe had to be brought into that first bottom floor of that that, that tower to give birth to the lamb. You ready for this? (laughs) What they would do is they would take strips of fabric. When the lamb popped out, They would immediately tie the lamb up with these strips of cloth. Immediately. So that the lamb wouldn't thrash its legs and get bruised. Because that lamb couldn't be offered in the temple. And then guess what they did with this lamb, James, that they had just wrapped up in cloth securely. They would lay it in a manger, which was a stone feed trough. We know that. 
<laughs> okay? And they would lay it there for the lamb to get used to the smells of the other sheep, of the shepherds. And they would also let them get used to the light because they were just in darkness, right? They would let them get used to everything around them. And when the lamb calmed down, then they would untie it. You know, when I was a kid and I read that scripture about, you know, here is a sign for you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. <laughs> My idea, Jen, was always, why couldn't you just say, hey, his, da- his mama's name is Mary, and his dad's name is Joseph, and they're going to be in a barn. I, I, Melissa, I'm always like, why? why? That's a weird thing. Here's your clue. <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> just tell them their first names and say, hey, here's the barn. The angel told the shepherds what they were really looking for. The Lamb of God that will be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Isn't that beautiful? The angel is telling those shepherds that were very knowledgeable of what they were raising. Right, Karina? They knew what they were raising. Lambs going to the slaughter. Look, I'll tell you something. When my daughter was born, not only was I 10 foot tall and bulletproof, I didn't put that baby down. You wanted to walk into that hospital room and hold the baby, you better get in line and the wait's about two or three months. I'm not kidding. I didn't like to put her down. Ask my wife who was the first person to hold our daughter. <laughs> that nurse took her and you know how they measure them and poke them and prod them and clean them and all that stuff. And then she wrapped her up and was carrying her to my wife and I stepped in. I said, thank you. I'm not lying. I was the first one to hold that little girl. And so the notion that Mary and Joseph aren't even holding Jesus at this point. Any parent, you know, we wanted to hold him, right? Mamas, what did you do first? Count the toes and fingers, right? I've heard a a thousand mothers say that. I just wanted to make sure they were all there. Raise your hand if you're a mama that did that. Did you count the digits? Yes, I see hands. (laughs) You want to hold him, you want to look at him. Mary and Joseph put him in a manger. That wasn't coincidence. That wasn't tired parents. That was the Lord showing those shepherds your faith in me and your trust in me and your obedience is finally coming to fruition. I'm showing you above all others the newborn king is here. The Messiah that you've waited on for over a thousand years is here. Go and see the Lamb of God. That's what the shepherds understood wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's what that meant to them. <clears throat> and I just, and even funny enough, we all, we all know Micah 5 too that talks about Bethlehem. 
you know, the, the, the Old Testament prophecy about that's where Jesus will be born. But what I didn't know was in Micah 4, 8, just a little bit before, it talks about how the, the Megdal Eder, the tower of the flock, is also in a prophecy about the Messiah. You know how far away the tower of the flock is from Bethlehem? It's a mile away. So like a mile down the road, the angels pop up, have a little heavenly concert, and then they're like, let's go. <laughs> but as I'm looking at this and I'm studying this, there were three things that popped out to me. It's like, like I said this last week, it's like God grabbed the highlighter and just three verses. I'm like, that's awesome. Look with me. The first verse is in verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. You see, the angels were bringing the joy. The angels were bringing them the message of joy. <clears throat> it was a message that anyone could listen to, and it was a message that if anyone accepted it, Big Al, it would give them the joy that God was delivering through it. And then in verse 15, it says, When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem. Then, and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a, a hurry. I love that. But the kicker is, you're only going to run and see something in excitement and hurry and confidence if you first have faith in the person giving you that message and trust. Just like we've been talking about for the last month. Faith, trust, obedience. Faith, trust, obedience. Faith, trust, obedience. It's beautiful. It's all through this narrative. It is all through the advent. <laughs> and then the last one. Oh, this is, if the angels were the bringers of the joy and the shepherds were the recipients of the joy, this was the third thing, verse 16 through 20. When they'd seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it wondered, the angels went through Bethlehem. We don't know what time it was, but not the time to knock on people's doors and have a sit down. And I love it. The people just pondered. They didn't even know what to do with it. Like, wait, what? Um, shepherds. But the shepherds that are temple shepherds. But... <laughs> um. And we don't have any other record, do we, Tammy, that other people came to the manger and saw the baby, do we? All we, all we see is they wondered the tidings which, behold, which were beheld them to the, uh, by the shepherds. And then it says this, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then the shepherds went back. Back where? To their flocks. Glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as God had told them it would be. The joy of the shepherds overflowed. It wasn't just something that they held and got all excited like, yay, right? It overflowed. It overflowed. 
In two things. Number one, they shared the gospel. The king has come. And then number two, their joy overflowed into worship and praise. That's a real good indicator of what true biblical joy should do. Tell others about Jesus, and then when you're done, you go praise Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Anybody ever gone on a mission trip? Raise your hand. Let me ask you, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. <coughs> Let me ask you a question. When you tell people about Jesus, doesn't it overflow? The joy overflows after you tell, you put your hands down, doesn't it, Tammy? The joy overflows, doesn't it? And I'm telling you, you see a salvation on a, on a mission field, praise and worship that night will be off the chain. <laughs> it will, though, won't it? Because you're just so excited that someone else is trusting him. Someone else is putting their faith in him. You have a new brother or sister in Christ. In fact, when it says that the angels have joy in heaven, what it's talking about, it says that the angels... Luke, I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. We'll get there. I almost stepped to I'm sorry. All right. <clears throat> so the angels brought the joy. The shepherds received the joy. And then the joy overflowed into evangelism and worship. So I got, I got to thinking, Jeff. I was like, all right, I want to see what other scriptures in the Bible talk about joy. I want to see what, what, what the Bible says about joy. Because I want to I cross-reference them, right? Bible interprets the Bible, right? You've heard that before. I want to see what other scriptures about joy were there. <laughs> I saw in Zephaniah 3.17, God has joy. Cool. God has joy. All right. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. <laughs> He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. The Lord will shout over us with joy. <laughs> We're going to get to heaven. Jesus could be like, you know, every time you heard thunder, that was me shouting. I'd be like, I don't know. That's just me. That's just my weird brain. But, <laughs> but Brandon, the Lord shouts over you in joy. That's incredible. That means when we ain't feeling it, he's still shouting over us with joy. And then we see in Luke 15, 10, angels have joy. It says, and in the same way I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We've heard that, that scripture before, haven't we, Kathy? We know that the angels get excited when somebody accepts Christ. Okay, so God has joy. The angels have joy. <laughs> Romans 15, 3, uh, 15, 13, it says this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that, you'll be, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So not only does he have it, not only do the angels have it, but he fills us up with joy. Well, that's awesome. But then in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, it says this. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 7, 4, it says, Great is my confidence in you, 
Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. Which means joy isn't circumstantial. Happiness is. But joy in all our afflictions? In all our nagging bosses? In all our bank accounts with not enough money for the month? In all our grieving and sorrow? What this scripture shows me is joy can be present anywhere. Notice how I phrased that. Joy can be. And then I read Nehemiah 8.10 and it says, Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So joy can give us strength. But I love what kind of joy it says. God's joy can give us strength. And we know that He will give us that joy, right? Because we know He has it, right? (laughs) And in James James 1.2, Joy gives endurance. It says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith has produced endurance. So joy is not circumstantial. Joy gives strength. It gives endurance. But then Proverbs 14, 13. I apologize for going out of order, sound booth. Proverbs 14, 13. 13 says this, even in laughter, the heart may be in pain and the end of joy may be grief. Proverbs 14 teaches us that joy can end. It says it right there. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to. Not going to lie to you. I'm going to be real transparent. This has been a rough week for me. <clears throat> Christmas is just a kind of a rough. It's kind of a rough season for me. My mom and dad are divorced. Um, my brother lives far away. My family lives far away. Um, a lot of the people that I grew up with. I grew up in the same home that they brought me from the hospital. To when I went to college. I lived in the same house. My grandparents were within a 15 mile radius of me. My dad's dad was across the street. Holidays were an amazing thing. And all of my grandparents are in heaven now. And some cousins are. And some friends are. And many of us can say those things that there are people that we wish were here that are not here now. Holidays can be rough for people. They really can be. <clears throat> I'm grateful for Proverbs 14 to teach me that joy can end. Because you know what that teaches me, Karina? It can also begin. It can also begin.
Where does it begin? With him. Because we've already read that he has the joy and he sings over us with the joy and he gives the joy to us. And the joy can bring endurance and strength and it's not circumstantial. We can have it in any season of our lives. But here's the kicker. We have to choose it. (laughs) In Houston... At the, if you have one of the joy passages, go ahead and stand up and go to the back to the microphone and get in order. You know who you are. <laughs> in Houston, the Christian radio station is called KSBJ. All right? And they have something called the Joy Pledge. Megan, I could see you loving that. You just, as happy as you are, just a reminder. it's called the joy pledge and they put it on every uh, Christmas season because we sometimes lose our joy during this era don't we it's like sometimes it's like I have to cook and clean and shop and wrap and not punch the children because Santa is watching and I'm a god right and I got to move the elf and kick my dog and, ah, and then we have a meltdown right it's true raise your hand if you've already lost joy this holiday season come on come on the Lord you better raise your hand girl I don't we don't have talks (laughs) because here's the deal we all do don't we unless we're hitting the sauce a little early we all have lost the joy at least one time it's true isn't it I mean it's true we got to be honest in the family right (laughs) and this joy pledge it says um, I choose joy when I something to the effect I choose joy when I look at the face of Jesus if I stop looking and I lose joy I will choose it. I choose joy. And they say, it ever, they say it multiple times in the day. And I was like, yes, that notion of literally, I'm not cursing, I'm talking about the hot place, literally come hell or high water. Trials, pains, sorrows, griefs, hearts that are longing for our loved ones, whatever it may be. Whatever it may be in the purest of our hearts, we must choose joy because out of joy comes evangelism and praise. I know that Shuby would want me to have joy in this, in this season. I know that he would want me to tell others about Jesus in this season, wouldn't he, Kristen? I know it. I know CJ wants us to have joy because he'd be right there telling people about Jesus with us while drinking water bottles that weren't his. (laughs) But it's true though, right? Like, (laughs) we have to understand it's bigger than us. The joy that we have, it's God's joy to pour out on others. It's God's joy for us to say, oh my gosh, because we see it in Scripture. What did, this, what did the shepherds do? They went and shared the gospel. And then they got down to praising Jesus. <laughs> you see, joy gives expression. Joy is expressed in song. Psalms 5 says that. Joy is expressed in prayer. Philippians 1 says that. And joy is expressed in shouting. It says that in Psalm 32. (laughs) But I want you to hear, I want you to hear more verses. 
And I want you to ask yourself, am I going about the joy of the Lord the way the Bible tells me to or not? And if you say I'm not, fix it. That's called repent. It, it, it really is that easy. Listen to what the Bible says your joy should look like. And if it doesn't look like it, fix it. <laughs> Literally repent and make your joy like what Scripture says. Listen to these Scriptures. I didn't put them up on the screen because I wanted you to listen. I wanted you to listen. I love that last one. <laughs> my heart and my flesh sing for... Uh, sorry, wrong one. <laughs> Let the godly ones exalt in glory. Let them sh sing for joy on their beds. That meant before we even got up this morning, joy's got to be on our lips. 
It's got to be. <laughs> so do me a favor. Will you make me a promise? We've got four more songs. If the Spirit moves Josh to sing more, you can either get up and go about your day because you feel that that is enough. And that is okay. Or you might want to sit around and sing longer and shout for joy and sing for joy because of the Savior who has saved you not only from hell but ourselves. I don't follow Jesus for fire insurance. I follow Jesus because He is the God who made me, who allows me to know Him. That's joy. If that don't put diesel in your tractor and crank it, I don't know what will. <laughs> like, come on. We talked about this in equipping class, and I invite you. Let the joy of the Lord spill out of your heart and out of your mouth and bless the Lord your God. And side note, bless the people around you. Some of us have never been taught how to worship with joy. We worship like it's a funeral parlor. Give the God of the cosmos the worship that he deserves and not the worship that you were taught. Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, I know every person in this room that loves you. That knows you. That has experienced you in the quiet in the stillness of a prayer closet. In the community of a worship service. In the enduring hard work on a mission field. Father, I know that every saint in this room that knows you. Wants the joy from your hand. And Father... To be transparent with you because you already know this. Father, some of us are scared. Some of us are weak. Some of us are hurting. Some of us are sad. Some of us are depressed. Some of us are way overstressed. We know we shouldn't be. But we are, Father. I beg you, Lord. As you keep Jupiter spinning this very moment, and it's no sweat to you. As you keep stars burning with no effort. I beg you, Father. I beg you, Lord. Pour out your joy on South Point Church. In this moment. If there are people that are at home listening. I pray that you would fill their living rooms. Or their automobile cabs. Or wherever they are. Fill that space with your joy. With your absolute. Exciting. 
relentless, motivating outpouring of joy. (laughs) Joy to hug. Joy to cry. Joy to bow on their face before you. Father, I pray that you would just absolutely take any restraints off of Josh. (laughs) I know what I'm praying, Lord. I know it's dangerous, but I know it. I mean it, Father. (laughs) But I pray that on every one of us, Lord. That in this moment, in this day, that the joy of our hearts would be your joy. Because your joy is what heals. And your joy is what restores and endures and strengthens. And your joy is what will fill us to shout and praise you. And then go tell others about you. And I beg you for that right now, Jesus. I beg you. I beg you to fill us with it so our hearts will stop hurting. And our fears will be extinguished so we don't We don't worry about what other brothers and sisters in Christ think about us when we worship you. Because they should be worshiping you so hard, they don't even see nobody else. Holy Spirit, have your way. You are God and we are not. We pray all these things in the wonderful, in the beautiful, in the majestic, in the terribly amazing name of our Savior and our King, the Messiah, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain, the God of the cosmos, Jesus. Amen.